A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're taking a close look at the main event that's going to be moving markets and shaping investment decisions in the coming day. I'm Robert Miller, and of course, that means the budget. I'm joined in the studio by Philip Aldrich, economics editor of the Times, Anne Ashworth, our personal finance and property editor, and Alexander R. from our business team. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Um, let me just cue you up. This is how Philip Hammond finished his last budget presentation. And at this budget, we continue with our plan, building on the foundation of our economic strength, reaching out to seize the opportunities that lie ahead, backing our public services, supporting Britain's families, investing in the skills of our young people and making Britain the best place in the world to do business. What are we likely to hear, Philip? Is it going to be that good? Yeah, it's it's not it's not going to be as easy to say that again, is it? Because the on the economic strength bit, we've dropped from sort of top of the G seven league to bottom of the league, and in terms of uh, being a good place to do business, I mean, we we have the sort of tax environment, but uh, businesses are not awfully happy about investing because we don't have the right political climate. So the conditions for this budget are obviously less clement um, and there's going to be some big downgrades in the growth and an increase in the borrowing numbers because of lower expected productivity, lower forecast productivity by the fiscal watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility, which is going to basically tie Hammond's hands and really complicate any efforts to make uh, Britain great. This seems to be under a huge amount of pressure from the so-called Eurosceptics. They want him to be optimistic about Brexit and they're saying they want an ambitious programme of tax cuts and spending increases. That ain't going to happen, is it? Yeah, well, it's hard to imagine how that's going to happen. The, I mean, all the, all the sounds are that the forecasts are going to go completely the wrong way to allow... Uh, to allow any additional giveaways. Um, he's He had something like £26 billion worth of headroom in 2021. That, um, under most forecasts, is expected to have been whittled down to about £8 billion. This was his This was his Brexit contingency war chest. Um, but uh, that's, uh, you know, if he, £8 billion doesn't go very far. What I'm just thinking is all this is going to cause considerable dismay amongst the huge number of people who are expecting this budget to address intergenerational inequality. He's essentially, Philip, got no room for manoeuvre to do much more than maybe announce a review of stamp duty. Um, maybe he gives a small concession to first-time buyers, but it doesn't look as if there's any scope 
for the kind of big symbolic moves that he needs to make to appease young voters, not just to, just to win them over, but to start the business of persuading them that they can ever vote Conservative. I mean, this is disastrous for him, isn't it? That, I mean, there actually, there is. It's funny. There is a little bit of manoeuvre in there if he was being, if he was going to be really bold, because his targets are at a, a set point in time. They're at twenty twenty one, and in that year, borrowing can be no more than two percent of GDP. So we've got two and a bit years to play with uh, before then, where he could let rip on, you know, a big borrowing funded. Uh, investment program for the UK in housing, in infrastructure, the kind of regional work that needs to be done, increasing the housing stock to such a level that you know house prices be, you know are kind of capped and start to start to you know at least at least uh, settle and, and flatline and and these kind of issues do pl- play strongly to, uh, to for the intergenerate intergenerational problem, but uh, you know to do this he would have to basically be willing to borrow significantly more for a couple of years and stick it into some kind of national inf- infrastructure bank or or something um and you know although he could massage his um his sort of fiscal rules to be able to do this um it would require quite a big uh, bold um, radical chancellor and all we hear about spreadsheet phil is that he isn't the man for that so there's just a scintilla of a chance that somebody's listened to the community secretary, Sajid Javid, yeah. who has, I think, privately told all his cabinet colleagues that unless they get building, their chances of re-election are, are nil. He believes that um, housing is the biggest central issue facing our country and the lack of it is going to destroy the Conservatives and their electability for a, a long time. I suppose the, the point being, if you don't own capital, how do you buy into capitalism? And and this is the problem with you know home ownership rates, which are just just tiny at the younger end of the demographic spectrum. And uh, obviously, the, the less stake you have in society, the the more you'll you'll be willing to uh, go the sort of Jeremy Corbyn route of uh, complete profligate spending and nationalisation and and issues which the conservative party would never ever stand for so they they yeah they need to get these guys in, in involved in sort of capitalism by having some one capital of the, one of the problems the government's got is that they've allowed expectations to get away from themselves a little bit ahead of this budget you know and mentioned sajid javid's um i'd say public interventions as well um but also Theresa may saying she's personally going to take charge of of the housing crisis but there's it leaves them very little room for maneuver unfortunately is there a problem here, and when we're talking about this and this intergenerational thing, and you've all mentioned the housing issue particularly, you can't keep all the generations happy all the time. So if you're going to get people onto the housing ladder at one end, you've got to give their pension, their parents and grandparents the chance to presumably do what they're doing now, which is raiding their pension pots to draw tax-free cash down and redistribute it. Is there anything wrong with that? I think this is the opportunity for the Conservatives to finally say to the NIMBY tendency, enough, we've listened to you for long enough, we need to build. And Sajid Javid has said some very interesting thing about how much of Britain is actually built over in a speech that he made this week. Apparently, more ground is covered by the tide coming in and out twice a day than is built on in the whole of Britain. 
So indeed, he's trying to make the case for there being development, perhaps even on scrappy pieces of greenbelt land, without it necessarily causing huge fury amongst that generation who are relying for their comfort in retirement on the value of their property and see any new development as a challenge to that equity in that piece of real estate. Given given the challenges that the, the government has got at the moment about keeping you know the backbenchers on side over Brexit, it makes it incredibly hard, therefore, to then say, fine, we're going to start building on the, on the green belt, doesn't it? It's not an enviable task. I mean, you wouldn't want to be Philip Hammond today sitting there going, my goodness me, what are we going to do? But isn't there the case that if he looks after this, and it's a hugely important issue, but if he puts too much time or resources more particularly into this, then surely business are going to say, well, what about us? We need more help to improve productivity. We need more direction. We need lower taxes. So you can't keep all of the people and business will be the ones who suffer if he addresses the problems we've just been talking about. And indeed, that does sound like um, the direction of travel. In the last few days, we've, we've heard suggestions that, you know, the VAT threshold for small businesses will be lowered, um, which would be another, another hit to SMEs. So it does look suggests that the government is sort of rummaging around to see where it can claw back some some money. There are some obvious areas where it can get some money from business and it wouldn't even be that unpopular. They can, there was this uh, two percentage point cut in the corporation tax rate from 19 to 17%, which hasn't come through yet, but it is in legislation. Uh, and the business lobby never actually lobbied for that. Um, it was an extra giveaway by George Osborne. Um, uh, so uh, you could in theory, just just unravel that, and that would be about six billion pounds worth of, of savings annually, which is is not insubstantial. He's not going to go near the national insurance contribution on self employed after the disaster at the March budget. But there are issues around how people qualify as self employed or as incorporated companies working for other companies, so individuals um, classified as companies. And at the moment, uh, everyone just classifies themselves. Uh, whereas if you switch it around so that the employer is responsible, um, a lot more people will technically become uh, seen as employees and have to pay the same tax as employees and you get income that way. I mean, these are these are slightly complicated issues, uh, but there there is a bit of room for manoeuvre to raise some money. I mean, but in the grand scheme of things, and if you want to do some big in big infrastructure project and, and, and the issue about boosting productivity does come back to infrastructure, which you know, also comes back to, to housing and get, getting the investment in, in, in the UK that we need, um, uh, you, you, need to, you need to spend big and you've got to have some, some kind of fund. And, and, the, and you know, Sajid Javid's comments about £50 billion for housing seem a completely extraordinary amount of money. But this is a one-off hit. And you've got to remember that houses then, if they're social houses, council houses, they generate an income in terms of rents. And so it isn't, you, get, you don't just spend it on tax cuts. You're actually spending it on an asset, just as you and I do when we buy a home. And this asset has a revenue stream. Uh, the national uh, wealth of the country goes up as well as the national liabilities. So if you see it in that respect, it's a lot of people, a lot of economists have, have, have said that, you know, there is actually a good long-term 
return for the public finances for the for the economy if you if you do this in in a one-off big hit yeah and then i mean we could see some specific examples of infrastructure investment i think there are suggestions that in cambridge where there's a you know growing biotech um sector we've got astrazeneca who are based out there and are building this fantastic new uh, headquarters uh, which is due to open next year there are suggestions that they could um the government might announce um, some investment in building a, a railway station in the south of the city um which would obviously help um um you know commuters get to that new site. But these are small measures in a way, aren't they? I mean, a railway station, doesn't that take forever to put in place? But remember those old-fashioned words, feel good? Yeah, I do. Um, and we're only... He is going then. to... Yes. Uh, he's going to be speaking on Wednesday, November the 22nd, just a month for Christmas. He has to do something. I know it's an unlikely image to see Philip Hammond in a Santa hat, but it gives a little bit of feel good. And the promise of better transport connections in the east of England, around Cambridge, but particularly connecting cities in the north, enabling people to take jobs where they wouldn't previously be able to commute to, is the sort of thing that gives people the impression that the government has their welfare close to its heart. That, that's its first consideration. Because there's something slightly tone deaf about this government. Hammond never gives the impression, whether or not he feels it, that he aspires to make lives better, which should be the central mission of the Chancellor, as well as keeping sound finances, improvement for the future. Fair point, Philip, do you think? Yeah, no, that he's... Absolutely. And the, there's the criticism of uh, I've seen of Philip Hammond is that he he's the first secretary uh, to the Treasury looks after the public finances. The Chancellor's got the supposed to have the big economic strategy, um, and it's been you know he's been likened as the first the chief secretary to the Treasury. So we've got two people in theory just concentrating on the public finances and nobody really looking at the strategic aims of the country, the economic strategy for the country. Um, that said, they have they are producing an industrial strategy which will come out, you know, just before or just after the budget. Um, which which is really you can you, you I guess you're going to be thinking about that as the as the economic strategy for the for the country. So that that will be quite an important document. And obviously, you know, Labour often uh, present that the solution to all problems is just spending. And of course, it's not. Um, it requires rethinking, reorganizing, creating better productivity through just changing the way things operate. And, you know, the industrial strategy can do that, can help do that. And, you know, changes to legislation through the budget can also, which don't have to be big spending items. And also, obviously, planning, changing on planning rules could have quite a significant impact on, on productivity. So there's there's all sorts of other little things that he, he could he could do if, again if he need to be quite radical, but uh, they would they could make a big difference. Well, we shouldn't forget either that uh, you know business generally you know does back uh, spreadsheet fill because of his political position on, on Brexit. I mean, the alternative potentially is Michael Gove, who's apparently been auditioning for the the chancellorship uh, this week. And with um, long economicy words, don't you love that long economicy words? One of which is mythid which is this whole new system that's going to make you able to see what charges you pay in your investment. I'm a bit worried if people in the cabinet don't know that this big new law is arriving in January and what... A, what it's because it's, it's coming from Brussels that they want to know about it. Right. Still going to be happening, still going to be happening, still going to be making a vast inference to all those ISAs, etc., which the government has encouraged us to take out. 
I mean, a, a final thought, and is there anything that he can do uh, in the area of individual savings account? I noticed that national savings or national savings and investments for marks to them for passing on the interest rate from December, unlike their, their banks. I mean, is, could they raise more money through national savings? Could they improve any area of personal finance planning, do you think? What would you say? If, you, if, you, if he was here now, what would you ask him for? Do you know, I think he needs to have a humdinger of a savings product from National Savings and Investments, which is the Treasury-sponsored savings bank after all, because many of the high street banks have failed to pass on the full benefit of the base rate increase to their savers in what I think is quite a shameful way. Also, I think the lifetime ISA or the LISA, as it's called, the rest. There are restrictions to that account, which is supposed to be the way to make the millennials save. There are various probably cost-free changes that he could make, which would make it much more attractive. I mean, because that's another one of his roles. He's got to encourage thrift. And national savings and investments needs a kind of attractive headline product. All right. Well, there we have it. And thank you all very much indeed. Don't forget both all three and Philip and Alex are all going to be following the budget as and when it happens. That's about it for now, but do keep up to date with all that news. And there's plenty of other stuff that we've got. Seven Trent, United Utilities, Delarue, Big Yellow, EasyJet and Thomas Cook. We're going to be hearing results from them. Uh, there's that, the other news and analysis on your phone, on your tablet, and of course, in the paper. If you are a subscriber, then don't forget to sign up to our morning lunchtime business bulletins and if you aren't, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip Aldrich and Ashworth and Alex Ralph, Alexander Ralph. They are all on Twitter, so please do follow them. And join us again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>